Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime anywhere with daily bonuses that should brighten your day a little actually a lot so sign up now at chumbacasino.com that's chumbacasino.com no purchase necessary btw void were prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus step into the world of power loyalty and luck i'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Welcome to the Inside Try Show with Helen Murray. This is the podcast that takes a deeper look at the sport with in-depth interviews and special episodes to keep you entertained and inspired while you're training. Are we ready to start this thing? Hello and welcome to episode 196 of the Inside Try Show. I'm Helen Murray and each week on the Inside Try Show I bring you awesome interviews from triathlon and beyond. This week's guest is the lovely Hannah Sage. She's a doctor. She's an adventurer. She's a triathlete. She was the female winner of Ironman Wales in 2022. So there's loads of chat from Hannah. And it's really interesting actually hearing how she balances her triathlon goals with actually life and having fun and having adventures with her husband, Matt. But talking of I am on Wales. I think I left you maybe a bit hanging at the end of the last episode. I said that I may or may not have crossed the line when you were listening to it. Well, it turns out I didn't even cross the blooming start line. <laughs> I was a DNS. It did not start. Um, yeah, it's been an interesting couple of weeks, to be honest. My my appendix decided to burst the weekend before Ironman Wales um, and I had kept it really quiet that I was doing it so yeah that was a whole load of fun um, if you are a patron you should have got the latest patrons only podcast so you can hear all about it in there we still had a week in Pembrokeshire um, I don't recommend a long drive after um a few days after an operation, not that I was driving, I couldn't drive, but um, I just don't recommend sitting in a car for like five hours. It was horrendous. <laughs> but we did have a good week in Pembrokeshire and I managed to do a little bit of supporting from a camping chair. I didn't make it into Tembe on race day. I didn't make it to the amazing climbs of like Saundersfoot where everyone has a party. But 
those I've spoken to, obviously seeing things on social media and yeah, just just speaking to people, um, they have said that the atmosphere was absolutely insane and even better than it is normally. So it must have been absolutely pumping or jumping or however you want to describe it. Yeah, perfect conditions. So yeah, I was gutted that I couldn't do it. I think I would have had a ball, but hey, some things maybe they're meant to be right and I'm feeling better now so this is good I still have a couple of weeks that I can't really do much so um yeah walking walking it is but anyway how have you been have you been enjoying a bit of late summer hot weather in the UK have you been out and about Freddie you did the Lausanne triathlon Daniel you're on the road to the New York City marathon carrot try you said I did my first overmortar swim since August last year and 13 weeks since my shoulder operation I couldn't get my wetsuit on due to the shoulder oh no and 19 degrees felt a bit nippy without one I hope I get used to it soon you will and that shoulder mobility will will come back Jerry well done you did back-to-back cycling days in preparation for London to Paris in 24 hours so good luck with that Stephen great to hear from you you said seven months of injury baggage left well and truly behind I just enjoyed it hard at the Tour of Border Sportive it's a superb event chapeau to organisers 120k on closed roads just fab that does sound nice actually David you're running on the Norfolk coast you said I can't get much better than this Jordan has been enjoying watching Super League Triathlon Kate and Keith and Sarah you all loved the episode with John Haywood recently you said a very inspiring episode. Simon, you've been racing the train. Apparently the train won. And then also I've had a lot of really nice comments actually about Heather, who if you've heard last week's episode, Heather was on talking about being a larger athlete and some of the struggles that she has faced. John said, what a woman. This is so good to hear. Triathlon should be for anyone. If you do a triathlon, you will always be a triathlete. We need to keep kicking down barriers and inspiring others. Todd, you said, Heather was great. Thank you for opening my eyes with this episode. I operated an exercise clothing store years ago and needed to learn this lesson. I encourage clothing manufacturers to broaden their size ranges and believe that the market is there to buy that product. Felicity, you said, I just listened on the dog walk and it's such a good point that Heather makes. To be useful and safe, a waterproof jacket should be able to zip up and you should be able to use the hood and everyone should have the opportunity to get out and be active. And it's so sad that the lack of decent clothing could be stopping that. I also might moan less about short arms and legs now. At least I get some sort of choice. Time for this week's interview. Hannah Sage took the age group female win at Ironman Wales in 2022. She has notched up two top five finishes at Norseman. She's qualified for Kona. She's also done some of the toughest triathlons and events in the world, from riding Wales in a day to doing extreme triathlons, all while juggling training with her job as an anaesthetist and having adventures with her husband, Matt. I just thought... Hannah's a great girl and actually she's got a lot of wisdom and some good tales to share. Hannah Sage, welcome to the Inside Try Show. Hannah, how's it going? Yeah, hi Helen. Thank you very much for having me. I'm good, thank you. Oh, amazing. We're going to talk all things Northwind. We're going to talk all things Ivan Wales. We're going to talk loads of things. And sometimes I might begin by saying, oh, how did how did you get into triathlon? But actually, I would 
like to know, Hannah, like why triathlon? What, why, what appealed about triathlon? I used to be a rower when I was in school until the age of 21. I rode pretty seriously. I used to row for Wales and then that became harder as I moved through medical school and we got posted all around Wales and there wasn't always a river or a boat available. So I sort of took up mountain biking like on, you know, like river trails, nothing very dramatic and ran for fitness because we'd always run as part of rowing. And sometimes when we um, rode and the river was flooded or something, we used to get made to swim. So I carried on swimming. And so I just thought, oh, I, I can swim, I can bike and I can run. So I entered my first triathlon, which was down in Cornwall, um, made my now husband do it. And it kind of all started from there. And I mostly, yeah, I must have really liked it. Because I remember when I was in university, one sort of November, driving to do a random aquathlon in Wellington off the M5 and realising it was like two hours each way. And I'd just gone for a 750 metre swim and 10k run or something. So I must have really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I think it just took off from there. So when was that first triathlon in, uh, in Cornwall? I think it was about 2008 or something. So it was a fair few years ago. Yeah, I borrowed my dad, uh, my father-in-law's mountain bike for that. And um, it was a pool swim. So there's funny pictures of us running through the swimming pool car park and speedos and swimming costumes. And then the run was also done in an amateur style. And did, did Matt enjoy it as well at that point? Um, I'm going to say not the running. So he. He liked the swimming and the biking. And then I remember he took so long to come in on the run. I went looking for him and he looked he looked like he was having the worst day of his life out there running. But then, I mean, he must have got into it eventually. I did, right. You know, when you were saying about with rowing training and sometimes they would make you run. Did you enjoy that part of it? Because I, I know I've spoken to other rowers in the past and they'd be mm. like, oh, I didn't really enjoy that. Boxers, actually. Boxers hate, hate I remember one boxer mm. hated the cardio. No, I quite liked the running. I think we just used to, we used to do it more in winter because it was dark and the river wasn't really safe. I think it was limited, so it'd be like once or twice a week. But I always remember one day it was really, really rainy and there were three of those girls that used to, so we used to get up and train at half six in the morning before school. And our coach um, was this great, he's like a real character and he just used to send us off to do whatever he thought was a good idea. So off we go running in the rain and we got to this bridge and we were like pouring down. So we hid under the bridge for an hour and then went <laughs> back to school thinking we wouldn't get caught. And then one of the other teachers had been cycling to work and obviously dogged us in. <laughs> So I liked it, but not in the rain, I think. <laughs> and was your childhood, was your childhood very outdoorsy, very sporty, uh, like away from rowing as well, or just kind of in the mountains? Um, not, no, not desperately. So I grew up in the countryside and I grew up on a farm actually until I was about the age of seven. So we were always doing kind of countrysidey things like walking in the, you know, walking fields and stuff. And I did some, we borrowed a pony off a friend sometimes. And so I guess I was always doing stuff, but not, it wasn't particularly sporty and it wasn't particularly outdoorsy. We didn't used to go camping or anything. And it was only really, so I got into rowing when I think I was 14. Um, that was just like an opportunity in school that I kind of stumbled into. And then that sort of grew and grew and grew. And then that was actually, um, so Arthur, our rowing coach, was so dedicated. So we used to train twice a day 
before and after school and then through the school holidays as well. And then it was just like four weeks off over the summer holidays. So, you know, and that was just his own personal time. Like he was super dedicated and committed to us. And um, yeah, so we were really lucky with that. And then there wasn't, yes, there wasn't that much time for mountains in between all of that. Um, and then it was more when I went to university that I kind of started exploring other outdoor pursuits, I guess. And I guess what you didn't really realise at the time doing all that rowing training was the base mm. that it was giving you. Yeah, and I'm sure that's exactly why I've kind of managed to do what I do in triathlon. And it's not just the like the kind of aerobic fitness. There's such a huge crossover. Like we used to do on the rowing machine, kind of similar workout to what I'd now do on the bike. Um, but also the like discipline and motivation and just the love you know not like the necessarily I'm not saying I'm addicted to exercise but it's part of my life and I I guess I do need to do something and that's I guess been instilled since all those days of rowing so yeah it was a life-changing experience kind of having that opportunity do you ever get in a boat now no but I sometimes look and think I would love to um I was actually sat having an ice cream on the seafront two days ago and so it was a beautiful evening and it was really tranquil. I used to river row, but there were these sea rowers out and I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind being in that boat. So, yeah, when the conditions are nice, I think I would like it. There is something else that you can, you know, add add to the sporty CV at some point, get yeah. into ocean, ocean rowing. Yeah, it would be very beautiful. But I imagine the boat's much wider and I don't, I think it would it'll feel quite different, I think. Well, I'll give it a go one day. Love it. Love it. So was it, Hannah, you or your now husband, Matt, who got each other into like really into very much an outdoorsy, active lifestyle? So Matt's um, godparents have been really and his parents, his godparents in particular, have been really influential on him because they used to take him climbing and kind of hill walking and things. And then Matt sort of introduced me to that. And then he took me climbing and then he actually he graduated before me and a friend and I used to go climbing and we got really into climbing so we'd go for like four hours at a time a few times a week and we really loved that and then it's all kind of married up and now yeah I just love the mountains but I think that that side of things actually really came from Matt rather than me and and (laughs) you you do manage somehow to kind of juggle like work training and adventures as well yeah, it's been until three years ago, probably easier than working towards. Um, so I was I didn't have a coach, so Matt and I just we used to do most of our training together, which we were really lucky we could do. Um and so it was much um there wasn't really that much structure. We'd just kind of say, Oh, should we try and ride our bikes fast tonight? Um and then we t- it turned out we managed to do pretty well. We had we used books to like try and work out roughly what we should be doing but you know we'd go for long days on the bikes and long days in the hills and it happened to be really good training but was also super adventurous and fun and then I got a coach three years ago so I'd entered Wales and I had my Norseman slot for 2020 which and both those races were obviously deferred because of the pandemic but at that point I decided well I'm doing pretty well on our kind of winging it adventure training I'd really like to see what I could do if I were coached so that was why um, I started working with Tom, who's been my coach ever since. And then one of the things that we discussed in our initial chat was that I wanted to be able to keep the adventures 
kind of going and so and actually I'm really lucky in that I do I like a hard turbo trainer I like a hard run as well as really liking adventures so it's not that um although it's become a bit less adventurous in some sessions it's not that I haven't enjoyed those sessions and so it's just been a bit more of balancing it and trying to fit the adventures in when we can. And how did you find going from not having a coach to having a coach and maybe that that structure as well um I th- so I think I was fairly clear about what I wanted in terms of the balance and Tom's worked really hard to try and give me that and um I guess being a bit organized has helped so when Matt and I have days off together I kind of said to Tom well I want to be able to go for a long ride on that day and Tom's just respected that and that made it work and then otherwise, luckily, Tom's super or has allowed me to be super flexible. So I kind of he puts in I put my shifts in. He puts in what he thinks will work. And then I decide how I'm feeling on the day, how work's been looking, look out of the weather. So I still have kept that flexibility to actually do what I want on the day. And it generally has worked out all right and hasn't ended up with one big session impacting another because I do try and be a bit sensible so it's actually worked fairly well and I think it was a bit of an adjustment for Matt actually more than me because he wasn't always getting well he hasn't had a coach so he hasn't been getting the kind of positive feedback and making the sort of progress in other ways so that's taken that took a bit of adaptation for him but then as long as we kept our adventure days together we were both pretty happy. It's an interesting one, isn't it? That mm. when perhaps in, in a household, when you have one who is coached or follows a particular plan and then mm. uh, the other one either isn't coached or follows a different plan. Yeah. And then it's really important to find that time. Kind yeah, of I think so. And that was, stuff. Yeah. And that was just what I knew that was important. And that's kind of what Matt said. Well, you can get a coach. Yeah. But I really don't want to lose our long ride days because they're the best days. So you mentioned the word uh, shifts (laughs) what is your work Hannah yeah so I'm an anesthetic doctor um well I'm in training now so I've I started I qualified for medicine in 2010 and then started anesthetics in 2013 and have been kind of in training since um so I went through a route where you do a bit more A&E in medicine which is like acute medicine type stuff and intensive care and then you specialize after that in anesthetics so I did that full-time till 2018 um and that was when I started like the next step of my training because it's slightly broken down um and then in 2018 I went to the world championships I went to Kona and at that point so back then they were quite restrictive about who was allowed to go less than full-time and we don't call it part-time because it's nearly still full-time so (laughs) so um I managed and there was this clause that you if you had a unique opportunity you were then able to go less than full time so I applied and was really lucky in that they said yes you can and it was like really I was so grateful to the kind of um the anaesthetic department that looks after Wales for just saying yes and then so from then I've been working at less than full time so I do 70% of normal hours which works out about 35 hours a week which is still full time yeah, which is basically full time, especially given that there's still plenty to do in my own time as well. So that me that's why my training's taking so long though, because it's then only accredited as seventy percent. So then it drags it out, but then you get to be happier. 
Right. And the <laughs> key thing there, Halleck. Yeah. <laughs> key thing, because the amount of times that you hear just how hard medical training is like how hard like relentless and you know oh you can't possibly take a break from from it like oh no you can't do that yeah yeah we're really lucky actually anesthetics has really shifted so when I first went less than full time I felt kind of embarrassed to tell people so the assumption was that you had children and I I felt it was a real privilege and I kind of felt like I'd really like to help other people have this they shouldn't have to be going to the world championships live a slightly more balanced life which and I still feel like I work hard and work plenty of hours but then there was this thing of well if I start kicking up a fuss maybe they'll make me go back full-time you didn't really know how they'd react but actually anesthetics has definitely shifted and I think 70% of trainees are now working at 70% which shows that I mean, it's firstly, it's nearly full time. It's normal full time hours, essentially, because we do have a lot of paperwork still on top. And then also it just shows, I mean, it's really, really hard doing full time. So the rotors, you're rotor to do between 45 and 48 hours a week, but it's not split evenly. So quite often earlier on in my training, I'd be doing 84 hour weeks. And then like there was one job I went through where you worked 12 days in a row every other weekend and then you'd get the weekend off and then you'd reset so you know it was not sustainable and and people are still on those routers as well and I don't know how they do it and I definitely wouldn't I don't I look back and think I don't know how I did my training then because I still used to do a lot of training but I look back and think well I couldn't do that anymore how did you do it well I think I used to I used to cycle to work a lot which was fairly helpful and then I'd sort of cycle home with my work back on going to backpack going like 40 miles through the hills <laughs> and I'd kind of do what I could for and after work um and then I mean I must have so one of the reasons when I went less than full time I actually said I didn't really want to train anymore I just didn't want to feel guilty for either not seeing friends or not seeing family or not training I didn't want to have to make those choices so I must have um missed a bit more seeing my friends and family although I don't really recall that being an issue but I think I was just I just must have been organized and got out when I could and used the time that I had fairly well I guess and I think the other thing to say is that because Matt and I have done so much of our training together that's actually been really lucky in that I haven't been pulling myself away from him so then that would have had a big impact on how I could fit that training in as well. And that that is one of the biggest things, isn't it? That feeling of guilt that, Mm -hmm. you know, there's something that you're not doing because you are out on your bike or you're like, oh, I've got to go for a run. So that, yeah, that that just horrid feeling sometimes, actually. I think it's quite a normal feeling to have, but also you kind of have to tell yourself, well, I'm actually going to be a better person. Like I know that if I've been for a run or a bike I'll then be present and I've I think I've always tried to do that like when you know if I'm seeing my friends I'm seeing them and I'm joining in and having fun and the same with my family whereas if you're sat there thinking oh I'm desperate to go for a run or that's all I want to do you're not actually going to you're not going to be a good person for them are you so you kind of have to balance that and you can't be selfish all the time but you can some of the time you definitely have to be to then give yourself to others later and why, Hannah? Why did you 
why, why did you want to get better at triathlon? Why did you want to put the time into training? Um, so I've always actually largely been motivated by the enjoyment of it. Um, so I think, and I think honestly, it mostly stemmed from wanting to get better and feeling that was what you, or wanting to do an Ironman, which was the original longer distance goal where kind of things grew and then thinking this is what you have to do to do that and then I guess you then your lifestyle does change doesn't it and you then realize you enjoy those things and then it became part of my life and then yeah I think like my number one motivator is probably actually enjoyment of the process though and I've been careful all along to try not to have big time goals or place goals because they're so fragile and anything could happen on the day the weather you know I'm not even going to list all the things that could happen and you don't know who's going to be there so then actually if you're if your only goal is where you finish in the race then you're sort of setting yourself up to fail aren't you so enjoying the process has really been I think what's motivated me how <laughs> as well do you continue to enjoy it and make it fun I like being in the wilderness where there's no people. <laughs> so um, keeping that in my training, so going, so riding quiet roads, I tend, I ride my road bike a lot more than I ride my time trial bike, for example, because I like to go to roads that don't have a white line in the middle. Hopefully they've got some cattle grids. Hopefully they've got some sheep that might run out in front of you. I really like hills and enjoy pushing myself up hills so actually and I also really like traveling and exploring so Matt and I as I said we're lucky we can do stuff together but we've we we go different places we're always riding somewhere different different nothing gets boring and I think it's probably actually a fault in terms of training I think probably the ultimate training would just be a robot wouldn't it where you just I'm going to do this loop and I'm going to ride my bike perfectly and I definitely don't do that I do like to go and go new places and use triathlon as a way of exploring those new places I was gonna say when you mentioned the sheep it's probably an yeah. end hill is probably a good thing that you live in Wales oh yeah perfect yeah we actually I'm not sure there's too many roads in Wales I haven't ridden but it doesn't get boring so no and there's some pretty decent um pretty decent roads around yeah 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 it's, yeah we're so lucky to live here and we have um like the Gower where I live is great but Carmarthen is really nice and quiet and quite often we'd actually drive sort of half an hour or an hour and then you're opening up like this whole big vast area of empty B roads where you don't see a car for a few hours so it's lovely do you have a favorite like adventure that you and and Matt have done so recently we were in the Alps and we had our eyes we've had our eyes on the Col de Madeleine for a few years because we camped at the bottom of it and got sucked into cycling elsewhere because the Tour de France was on and we wanted to go and watch and we wanted to do the route of the Marmot. So we planned a big day riding in at the end of July and did the Col de la Madeleine two ways. We did the Col de Glandon and we did a couple of other coals as well. So it ended up being a, a, a like 10 or 11 hour bike day with 5,000 metres of climbing. Amazing. And it was really nice weather and we ended up on the top of the Col de Madeleine which is like this it's just 
like a proper alpine climb with huge mountains around and it's so stunning and we ended up there at about half eight at night with all the cars and the people had gone and it was just so beautiful so that was I mean it might not be our craziest adventure but that was like a really we decided it was probably our biggest bike day ever so that was a good day and you've you've done Wales in a day haven't you the the bike ride yeah that was really fun um and actually I don't know is, is it still going Helen? I don't think it is I don't oh. think it I don't I don't think so actually I'm sure they had the last one Rich did it my husband a, yeah. a few years ago and uh, I think it nearly broke him I don't think oh. he did the tra- I don't think he did or <laughs> I don't think he did enough training for it <laughs> well well if he the um actual best thing about Wales in the day was the feed stations were all there were five of them and they were in like village halls run by WI ladies and they wouldn't let you get up out of your chair and they'd bring you tea and then they'd bring you cakes they'd made and then the last one was pizza <laughs> and it was yeah it was brilliant it was really beautiful to just great to be able to do that as well you know with the assistance of having someone take your stuff back okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Epic. Epic. What made you want to go slightly more into let's say extreme triathlon so x try which is a really really tough iron distance race in the lake district and then northman patagonman keltman i think it was probably actually a natural it was just like a natural segue for us and i think the um one thing that i've always felt is that i wanted to be excited about races and, you know, you just want to think, like, oh, I can't wait to do that. And so Triathlon X, for anyone who doesn't know, goes over all the steepest passes in the lakes. And it, it, it's a really hard, really, really hard bike. And then the run is up Scaffold Pike, which is hard. But the bike is, so the hills are like 33-ish percent. They're, it's mega steep. Um, and I love, I've done a lot of the hills on their own in the lakes. So then thought well this is and it just seemed like the dream route like you're swimming in Lake Windermere and then the cycle route is the Fred Witten so then it was you know that's an obvious thing and then the run up the highest mountain in England like it's it was like the perfect triathlon so that was how we ended up doing that and then Patagon Man was then the next kind of extreme try that um, Matt and I both did and that was that happened because I was revising for my final exam which is a miserable time. Anyone that's done medical exams will tell you. You're kind of getting up at six before work to do a couple of hours revision and then sitting down at your computer when you get home and you still might not pass. And then um, 
Matt left me skiing. He went skiing for two weeks. And so I saw the advert for the ballot for the Pasco man, and then we got spaces. So when he was out skiing with his mates, he got a text saying, oh, by the way, I've entered you into triathlon in Patagonia. So that's how that happened. That was a crazy revision plan. And then I actually got my Norseman place as a lucky dip spot from there that kind of all followed on. And uh, going back to Triathlon X, by the way, mm-hmm. is it the hardest triathlon you've done? Um, so I think, the co- I mean, undoubtedly the course is hard. And unfortunately, they actually don't run it in the same format anymore. So it's now a funny sort of made up, it's not a bike loop. It's basically doing laps of this really, these really hard hills, which is not as it's not natural. Whereas when we did it, it was a hundred and twelve mile loop on probably the best roads in the country. So it was, you know, it was great. But I think I don't think there's a harder bike course out there. And I don't know what the elevation game was, but those like they're the kind of hills where you genuinely don't know if you're going to get up them. And then the weather was absolutely brutal. It rained so heavily and I don't know what the a lot of people didn't actually finish because of the rain on the bike did you enjoy it for it being so hard did you were you loving it yeah it was great so we'd we'd actually decided to do it on road bikes and then at some point I caught Matt and then we actually did a lot of it side by side we we were really careful not to draft because we were like obviously that's illegal but we kind of happened so we did a lot of it side by side we had our family there they watched us where they could, but were it's difficult to get around the course. And then I set off on my own on the run. And then Matt's really quick at descending on the run. So he then caught me up and we were like, well, let's just finish it together. And yeah, it, like not just because I was with him, but I really love the feeling of like, will I get up this hill or not? Like, it's exciting. And then, I mean, usually if I didn't, I would turn around and go back down to the bottom and do it again. But those ones, I, I did get up. So, yeah, I love them. It's fun. What's Patagon Man like? I, you know, you see pictures and, I mean, it looks incredible. Yeah, and it was. It was, so the swim um, to start with, you, when we were there, we were actually, um, I'm not going to say we were unlucky with the weather, but it was cloudy and a bit drizzly the week before the race. So we hadn't seen any of the landscape and then race day was sunny. So Matt and I were both doing it and we didn't have a support crew to come with us. So you could um, borrow some, a couple of locals. So we had Milena and Alejandro who were this lovely couple. Well, they weren't a couple, they didn't know each other, but they became our support crew. And we, Matt and I had, um, were staying in Coyhaque, which is this town um, sort of in the middle of the bike course where they recommend you base yourself. And then we hitchhiked with Andrei, who was doing the race and his girlfriend, and they gave us our lift or accommodation, which was actually a chalet up in the mountains. We hadn't realized, like super inconvenient. We got there about five o'clock before dinner and then the cooking facilities wouldn't work. So there were no matches. Then we have to traipse down to this Chilean family and we can't think of the word for matches. There's no phone signal. And um, anyway, we eventually managed to get our dinner. Then we get up and we're like, where are these support people? They said they'd pick us up from the end of the lane. We've walked about a mile to get to the end of the lane at 3 a.m. or whatever the time was. And then we'd like shared our locations with them. And we were kind of like, please say they're coming. And then eventually Matt's support person came and picked us up. And then we got to the race start and go out on, it's like a proper old, it's like an old school, old school car ferry. 
and the swim back literally I had like tears in my eyes the mountains were all lit up like orange and we hadn't seen the mountains at all because of the cloud so suddenly you've got these like snow packed you know snowy peaks and glaciers and everyone in Pasco man they make you put a light in your boy so you can see the line of boys ahead of you and it's just getting lighter and it was it was honestly so beautiful and the water was like glassy still and it was just it was really great and then it was freezing cold though it was 11 degrees in the water so it was a cold cold swim and then you were onto the bike and it was five degrees so it was cold and then it got warmer and warmer and the bike is so when we were driving around before the bike course there was a heck of a lot of gravel so we were expecting this just gravelly bike course and everyone was panicking about punctures and then these Chilean road workers just pulled it out the bag and the whole bike course has basically been perfectly surfaced and they were so great so when there was road work because sometimes they'd like close half the road off for you these road workers were like singing and cheering you along and it was like it was really special um so then you do your 112 miles to the to where the run starts and it, I mean it was hilly the last a hill is a proper big climb with a big headwind and that was hard and then you got onto the run and the run I don't think I was that well prepped for the run so that um you know how you're prepared is always going to affect what you feel about a race in the course so I found the run hard it was 26 degrees I'm not great in the heat but Matt's support person hadn't got to the T2 with his trainers so I, he had bigger problems than me so he had to wait around for his trainers um and off I went and um I think I, I don't know. I think I started the run in first or something and then ended up in fourth. And the last bit of the run, you're allowed to have your support runner do it with you. But Milena wasn't really a runner, completely fine, wouldn't have expected her to run with me. And they said it was 10K. And actually, the marathon is about 27 and a half miles. And mm. um, so my watch, you know, 26.2. And you're in the middle of nowhere. There was me and some goats. And I was literally like run walking, thinking, and you could see, because it's so expansive, you could see for miles. And I was like, there is nothing on the horizon. This run is never going to end. You're kind of thinking, have I gone off course? And then eventually you got closer and you could see there was an arrow and you turned right. And then this lovely Chilean girl called Magdalena started cycling with me because she was cycling with people to do the last bit with them. And she was singing Queen, We Are the Champions, mm-hmm. and um, took me over the finish line. And then... Yeah, so it was like it was really kind of a unique, special experience, and the landscape was just amazing. It does sound pretty cool. Yeah, it was great, and a good holiday after as well. Oh yeah, exploring South America. Yeah. Hello, and then Norseman, Hannah. I mean, you've had a third there and a fifth there. Yeah. I mean, would you would you have expected in in your wildest dreams you would have got those positions? You know, when you were first first getting into slightly longer distance try you know after having done that first one on a borrowed mountain bike definitely not so I actually the first Norseman I went into feeling a bit of um not imposter syndrome because obviously most people are there on the ballot but I knew that it's the world championships for people who have won their slots by coming first or second in the other x try races and I knew I wasn't one of those people so I had kind of Tom was saying I think you're going to do really well I think you're going to do really well and I was kind of thinking like I'd be really pleased with top 10 so then to come away with third was super special that was amazing and I you know I was like oh my god like I just couldn't really believe it 
Um, so yeah, no, I definitely didn't expect that. And on similar vein, Hannah, how how do you go from just uh, I want to say like a sort of an average age group of finish at Ironman Wales in the first one to then winning it? How many years later did it? How many times and oh, how many years nine, later? Nine years later. That was my fourth time this year. Um, so I think I owe a lot of credit to my coach, Tom, who he's like really, really clever and came, you know, his training programs are great. And he's obviously designed a training program which would fit with my desires for adventure um, and a really good race plan as well. Um, but it was a lot of hard work, a lot of kind of, dedication a lot of sacrifice especially during the two years since I that I really started working with Tom and obviously I think all the training I've done before then and as you alluded to my rowing training had really built my like I think my aerobic engine has always been very good because of all that and it was more sharpening up and learning how to ride a bike and learning how to run and refining things and I definitely wouldn't have been able to do that on my own but it was definitely a lot of hard work I'm not going to say it was easy and did it just go back to that process that actually you know you clearly love the race mm. and you you love the process of I guess just trying to get better and better and be as good as you can yeah and when I so I didn't really I'm going to say I didn't know how to cycle so I've always loved cycling that's probably always been the top sport for me in terms of enjoyment um but I just used to like going out riding I'd sprint up all the hills because it was fun and then um just cruise around taking in the scenery whereas actually when I started training with Tom I learned about kind of riding more smoothly and actually reining it in on the hills and I was I remember reading an article with Lucy Gossage years ago where she said oh I like the hills because I take them easy like what's she on about um, <laughs> I'm saying me wrong because I actually do miss like being able to go but I still can but I miss you know going for a little sprint up a hill it is fun um so I yeah and I actually then found enjoyment in refining how I cycled and trying to strive to get better at that and I as I said I've enjoyed I enjoy like the hard workouts as well where you're on the turbo trainer going all out and then and I suppose I kind of like succeeding at things so then the most part of the motivation is well I did that workout really well and that even though it might not have been the most 100% fun thing I could have done, that was enough to keep me going and to keep me enjoying it. And then with the running, um, so I'm not such a good runner. as Like my biking, I'm very, very strong at cycling. And then running is always, I've always, always looked over my shoulder. And so I tried to get better at running this year. And that was, again, a process of working on cadence and efficiency. So it wasn't necessarily just, about go out and run at this speed there was much more to it so I enjoyed I've enjoyed the whole process of kind of working through the techniques and I'm going to say I still haven't shown all the work I've done on my running because I've had a few I basically haven't done a good run since apart from in training since I've done all my work but that's okay there's always time there is always yeah. time and I think that is the the beauty of triathlon in that there is always always something that you yeah. know you can be working on do you think that triathlon has changed since you first started it in 2008? Yeah, so firstly, um, 
but some really, really positive changes. So I think the women's field has got bigger and more and more competitive. And that's, it's really great to see, like um, just looking at Norseman this year. So I was fifth and I was chuffed with fifth. And part of the reason that I was really pleased to come away with fifth, with fifth is that the field was so strong and it was really great to see that and the competition was really there. And I don't think, so when I started doing extreme tries, one of the things I thought was, well, there's not any women doing this. I'm going to be one of the women that does it. And it wasn't like, you know, I wasn't like, well, this is going to be my thing. I'm going to get women into this sport. But I just thought, actually, like, I really want to do that. And if I do it, other people will see they can. So that's definitely a positive change. Um, and I think the internet changed things a lot. So I think the so many more people would have a coach now because it's much more readily available and easily available. Um, and then there's obviously much more information on the internet that people can find, which is really helpful for people's training. So I think all those things are really positive and it's obviously much more kind of prevalent. Um, there's much more races, um, but I think, there's, so I think there's a couple of less good things. Like I think it's got a lot more expensive. I think all the races, are much more expensive which makes it a much more exclusive sport and then the other thing that I sometimes struggle with and don't get me wrong because I've got a lot of kit is that I think because of the kind of internet culture people think they have to have all the kit and then that can be quite off-putting for people starting out or people who might not be able to afford it whereas actually back when I started that wasn't it just wasn't as visible on the internet even though people did still have the kit but it just wasn't there to intimidate you before you started Hannah what is it having gone back sort of four times what is it about Ironman Wales for you that makes it quite so special um so I think the wilderness of the course compared with a lot of other Ironman courses is really special this like the sea swim is just it's so beautiful and then the bike goes to some really remote parts of Pembrokeshire. And actually, Matt and I live fairly close there. So we kind of go there on holiday a fair bit for a long weekend and things. So I really love the setting. And then the people are just, the town, because it's such a small place, the town really does fill up. And I've done, I did Ironman Switzerland when it was in Zurich. And because it was in that capital city, it was staying in the wrong, it was a great race, but they're, they're used to, events with tens of thousands of people coming through all the time so they weren't bothered whereas in Tembe everyone is there for Ironman the, because of the hills and things it's kind of like a natural amphitheater isn't it and just the crowd atmosphere is really special and then last year was just out of this world being in the lead when it turns out I mean I don't think I knew there were people watching that I didn't know were watching because they were there to watch other people so then suddenly and then they've seen your name that you're in the lead. So then they're looking out for you. And I was literally running past people. And because it was super rainy, people had their hoods up. And I remember going to someone, they were like cheering me so enthusiastically. And I was like, I'm so sorry, I don't know who you are. <laughs> and then they, they never put their hood down. So I still don't know who it was. And it, you know, just, and then because everyone, or being local, like a lot of people on the course know you as well. So it was just, it's such a special place and I think even if you're not from around here I think you're I think I'm on Wales is really just out of this world because of the crowd I uh, gonna finish soon but Hannah can you describe the Brecon beacons for someone who might not be from that area and what is it like snowboarding in the Brecon beacons (laughs) 
Um, so the Breton Beacons are South Wales's highest mountains. There's the main, or the biggest hill is called Penny Mount, and it's kind of um, it's red sandstone. Um, if that means anything to anyone, uh, so they basically um, have sort of a steep side and a less steep side, all the hills, and then they're kind of in ridges going from west to east, and the ridges run north to south. Um, there's a couple of great lakes, and yeah, I haven't actually snowboarded, but I've skied there. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it was skiing, yeah. and I wouldn't recommend it. So, so when we went. They're obviously quite windy and wild and the snow had really blown off where we were skiing. So we trudged up with our skis and then um, got there and we were like, oh, there's really no snow. And then the grass was frozen and it was, you know, that thick kind of marsh grass. that's like sort of half a centimetre thick. And every time you tried to turn, it would grab your skis and you'd just fall over. So I think we did two laps of the trudge and the fall over repeatedly on the way down. It was fun. An adventure. How, how long would it take to walk up with your skis to the top or trudge up? Well, we didn't go all the way, so they do get quite steep at the top, and with the lack of snow cover, you'd be just on rock. But I don't know, maybe forty-five minutes or something. Let's dedicate that dedication next, to the adventure. Next time it snows, I'm sure you'll be doing it again. <laughs> oh, Hannah, it's been lovely to chat. Thank you so much. Oh, that's right. Thank you very much for having me. It was, yeah, really nice to come on and have a chat about Iron Manny things and long, well, more extreme try. That's more fun, isn't it? I think so. I think so. <laughs> and good luck with whatever's next. Yeah, yeah. Thanks very much, Helen. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Inside Try Show. If you want to get in touch or get a little bit more information on anything, then reach out to Helen on Instagram or Twitter at Inside Try Show. Do let me know what you are up to, what you've been up to. This weekend, we are going to be heading to the northwest of Wales, to the village of Abersoch, as the Dream Team are going to be taking on The Rock. I know some other listeners are going to be doing it as well, so good luck, Kath. Good luck, Kelly. And if you are down there, I look forward to seeing you there. Rich is also doing it. I cannot wait to support everybody, and hopefully this weekend I, I won't have to do it from a camping chair. Um yeah we'll see thank you if you've sponsored the team it is massively kind of you and the money will be going to move charity to help and inspire people to move against cancer so if you could spare the equivalent of a cup of coffee and go and sponsor the girls who are doing the rock all for move charity that would be amazing there is a link in the show notes to the just giving page But that is it for this week. Next week, you'll be hearing all about The Rock and how the Dream Team get on, plus some pretty, I guess, big news. So thank you again for all of your support. Thank you for listening. Happy racing, happy training, and we'll speak again next week. Sports Social Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.